this morning. Um, I'm actually kind of amazed that I'm up here in front of you. Um, I was um, reflecting this week on just kind of what, what's brought me here, and if you would have told me even, I don't know, a couple of years ago that I'd be standing up here delivering a sermon, I really uh, wouldn't have believed you or would have been a little uh, surprised, but um, um, just a little background about me and my family. Um, my wife, Melanie, and kids, uh, Riley and Jack, are here. Go ahead and raise your hand, guys. i got to embarrass you a little bit. Um, we started here at True Life Community Church uh, a couple of years back, um, and um, we, Melanie and I had actually uh, helped plan the church here uh, in U-City. Um, I guess it's been about 18 years ago now, and we were uh, there and um, uh, felt God calling us uh, after many years to come to a, a local church and be a part of a, a church where we are um, in the community. So that's why we're here. Um, I'm also one of the elders here at the church, and uh, I'm just really thankful to be up here. It's, it's still, like even preparing for the sermon, it's a little bit surreal to just think about um, coming up here. And I, I've never really, uh, you know, prepared for one before. And so I was kind of surprised at some of the, I don't know, feelings and emotions and things that come with um, uh, preparing for it. So um, there were times whenever... Uh, I would just be profoundly uh, aware of God's presence and, and just what, uh, what he's done in my life. And um, I think we're getting some feedback, so I could try to address that. That'd be great. Um, but it, it, it just amazes me uh, to be up here. I think I've said that word like 20 times now. Um, so what I wanted to talk about in keeping with the summer and the Psalms is, is worship. And... Uh, of course, I mean, I serve on the worship team, so obviously that that's definitely feels like a calling specifically, uh, you know, on my heart. But the, the truth is, is that it's a calling for all of us. So ultimately, we were we were made to worship our our purpose to exist is that God decided um, for his good pleasure to create a people um, that he would be in community and relationship with that they would be his people, and, and uh, for those of us that are Christians or, or not yet Christians, I mean, that's, that's going to be your people, and that, that is our people, and that our purpose in life uh, is to worship and glorify God. And so um, I'll go ahead and read the, uh, the text, and then we'll, we'll start kind of talking through it. So starting with Psalm 95, verse 1, it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore... I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Um, I'll pray one more time, and then we'll get going. 
Lord, again, uh, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Uh, I pray that you would just speak through me, um, speak whatever words you have for the congregation this morning, that there's, um, that you would just speak to people through my weakness, Lord, and that I would be totally dependent on you to uh, just move and change hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we talk about worship, we need to think about what worship actually is because we, we throw the, the term around and um, maybe we don't even have a clear idea of what it means. And so maybe a question for you to just kind of think about a little bit is what is the most valuable thing to you? What's important to you? What feels like if you didn't have that thing that you would be lost, that your identity would be lost, that you would not be able to to function. I think it's very easy, you know, in our modern society and, and really throughout the years, as, as we'll see in a moment when we talk through the psalm, that there's so many distractions out there. There's so many things that we try to use to fill our lives, to define who we are. And throughout all of Scripture, if you look at the Bible as a whole, if you look at from beginning to end, Everywhere that's in there, you're always going to see a constant theme. And that theme is going to be praising the Lord. It's going to be bringing glory to him. It's going to be worshiping him. It's going to be praising him. Um, we've, Bob did a, a great breakdown of the Psalms last week, and he spoke about how you know, the Psalms kind of take us through this whole range and this whole journey of human emotions from sorrow and sadness to joy and thanksgiving and um, if you, if you kind of read the Psalms from beginning to end, you, you'll notice a pattern where it starts more with uh, what we call laments or struggle, sadness, uh, difficulty. And even in those laments, almost every Psalm, it turns back around to praise. And as you start edging more towards the end of the Psalms, it starts becoming more praise. And, and the very, uh, I think, last five Psalms is just this amazing... Um, amazing like sort of bookend to uh, the whole um, thing and it, it really is just nothing but uh, praising and worshiping the Lord so if you think about the word uh, worship it actually comes from an old English that's called worship and so it's whatever you again ascribe value to um, for us uh, as Christians and, and I guess Christians in general what we're really needing to do to fulfill the design and the purpose of our lives is to ascribe that highest value, that highest meaning to the Lord um, because only he is worthy. Um, and if you look at even the very beginning of this psalm where he says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with, all the song, with songs of praise. Um, for he is the Lord, a great God, a great God above all gods, or a great king above all gods. So what, what he's saying there is the first thing, we're going to come to God with open and glad hearts. We're going to come excited and exuberant and really just um, bringing the, the essence of who we are, which is our, our excitement, our enjoyment of him because that's what we're, we're made to do. And it says, for the Lord is a great God and a king, a great king above all gods. And so 
you know, back in this time of life, a lot of people, um, the different nations around, they believed and worshipped in, like, uh, the gods of nature, like there was a mountain god, there was a sea god, there were all these things, and so the, the psalmist is, is actually reminding us that all of those things are immaterial. All those things don't matter. In fact, those gods aren't even real. And there's only one true God, and that is the God that whenever we worship him, when we draw close to him, it fulfills our design. It fills our purpose in life, and it, it fills us with the joy and the, the gladness and the, just the, the happiness that we were designed to have. And so think for a moment again about what life is like right now. What we see um, just competing for our attention, competing for our affections, really. Um, a lot of times it's, it could be, gosh, any number of things. I mean, with the internet and with just the, all this exposure to information, we're bombarded with all of these things that try to tell us, you know, what's the right way to live, who we should be, what's important, you know, in the world. And if you, f if you notice, over the span of time, like for, at least for folks that are, uh, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven decades of life, um, it's always shifting, it's always changing. There's no core, there's no bedrock to it. There's no, there's no sense of um, everlasting meaning, that there's nothing there that really um, you can sort of hang your hat on permanently. Because the sands are always shifting. It's always changing. And so when we look at God, though, we see this unchanging, um, all-powerful, all-great uh, creator. Uh, someone that is um, with us and for us. And um, I wanted to also draw your attention to when we, when we worship, it's not just something that we do with our lips and that we do here on Sunday mornings, um, just in song, but it's, it's about an inner heart attitude. It's about, you know, what's on the inside of you too. It's not uh, just standing up, singing a song. Sometimes you raise your hand, sometimes you don't, depending on what you're comfortable with. Um, it's, it's meant to be a full expression of who we are, and so that's, that's why the psalmist is so emphatic uh, at the beginning. Um, and an, another piece of worship is it's supposed to change your life. It's not something where you, you come perfect uh, to worship and that you can perfectly worship God because none of us can. Um, we just don't have it in us. We don't have the ability or the capacity to do it without um, the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and what I wanted to do was take a couple examples of how First, how great God is, and um, and then also we'll talk a little bit about what happens whenever you have a direct experience with him. And so what I wanted to do is also take us over to Job uh, chapter 42. We'll start with uh, verse 1, and uh, I'll give a little bit of background here. So I don't, I would think a lot of people are familiar with Job. Um, he was considered uh, righteous by God and, and a man after God's heart. And um, there's this whole cosmic uh, struggle uh, where uh, uh, Satan actually comes into God's presence and says, you know, there's no, there's no real followers of you. There's no real worshipers of you. And 
like God's like, well, what about Job? And, and Satan says, yeah, but uh, the only reason he worships you is because you are um, blessing him with everything. And, and so basically the story plays out that um, God allows, Job, or allows Satan to um, both destroy Job's home, his livelihood, uh, take his health, and the whole time Job is praising God. And then um, towards the end of the book, like I think it starts in uh, chapter 38, um, after Job is just almost completely despondent, he, he curses the day that he was born, uh, God finally answers him. And he doesn't answer him with um, a particular reason for his suffering. But what he does answer him with is how he, God, is the creator of all things, that um, he is the master of, of the entire universe. And uh, he spends a long time basically saying, look, I created everything. And Job, where were you? You didn't help me create everything. I did it myself. I'm the master of, of all things. And so we come to uh, Job 42, and it says, uh, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so, after God spends time basically reminding Job of his place and reminding Job of just how big and how awesome and powerful um, he, God, is, uh, Job is just completely blown away. He has no retort. He has no response. And he, he understands rightfully that uh, he is in no place to charge his creator with wrongdoing. And that he really doesn't even have like a, even the smallest understanding of the mind of God and how great he is. And so um, we don't have to have like these complex answers in order to worship God. We just have to see him for who he is, that he is just the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good uh, creator. And that's what Job did at the, at the end of Job. Um, and then I wanted to uh, also take us over to uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And I'll read that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, seraphim each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah, he, um, he was a, a priest, and he was very familiar with being in the temple. Uh, he'd grown up there. He's, he was not a stranger to it. And so one day whenever he comes into the temple, he gets this amazing, overwhelming vision of the Lord as he really is. He gets a glimpse into God's presence. And it's just completely overwhelming. And uh, I know it can be kind of weird, some of the, uh, the imagery that you see coming out of heaven uh, with these angels that have... Um, wings over their eyes and their feet <laughs> and they're flying around and it's really a representation of just how holy God is um, and so Isaiah he sees God as he is he, he's just ruined and if you, you kind of see this pattern uh, in the Bible where whenever people really encounter God's presence when they, when they come into his presence they are just undone they realize how holy God is. They get a glimpse of it, and it's just overwhelming. And so when Isaiah comes into, um, whenever he sees the Lord high on his throne, and he says, um, Woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, he, he just knows that he is, he's not even close to being worthy to, <laughs> to even be in his presence. And so it isn't until the seraphim comes and um, burns his lips with that coal, which is basically taking, shall I sin? You know, who is going to be our prophet? Isaiah immediately responds. He says, here I am, send me. When you have a life-changing experience with God, when you come into his presence, it changes you. It, it affects you deeply. It will turn your life upside down. Uh, and even, like for me, 20, 20 22 years ago, um, I wasn't a Christian. And I, my heart wasn't for God. There was nothing about me um, that was good or holy and, and there still isn't because every I owe everything to the Lord but I wouldn't have been standing here ever I wouldn't have imagined this and in fact I not only was my heart far from God but I was I was an enemy and I was against him and so when you have that direct experience with God you are going to be changed you're going to be affected we'll go back to Psalms 
I'm using the map, so I have to navigate a little bit. And for some reason, it won't let me uh, bookmark anything. I have book no bookmarks from five years ago, and it, it's not, not helping me. So I don't need to talk about Mark today. All right. So we will go over to 6 through uh, 7. So, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So, we talked about coming before the Lord with our emotions and with our, our full selves. And so we, the psalmist has talked before now about just how great and how big, how powerful and how wonderful God is. But So you would think that a God that is this holy, that is um, just the creator of the universe, would be too big to have any sort of interest in us or in his people. And so what this tells us is that even though... Um, even though God is so big, that he desires to be in community with us. That as, as our hearts are turned to his, him, his, hearts, his heart is turned to us. Um, and there's this attitude of complete submission in verse 6 when he says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our maker. And so part of understanding who God rightfully is um, just being the creator of all things and being all-powerful and all-good is that we understand our place just as Isaiah did. We understand that um, the only reason we can even enter into his presence is because he makes us worthy, not because we have it of, of our own accord. And But he's a loving God, and he's a good God. He was characterized here as a, a shepherd, and we are the sheep of his hand. That means that you can trust him. That his holiness and his greatness is not a threat to you, but it's a comfort. That he cares for you. That he cares for his people. You know, a shepherd, whenever we call like someone a shepherd, um, we're talking about someone that guides you and that is kind. Someone that protects you. Someone that takes care of you. And God is, is uh, he is characterized as a shepherd here, um, that he loves you and that he wants to be with you and protect you, that you are dear to him, that you're important to him. I mean, isn't that amazing? To think about the creator of all things that, that stands outside of time, that spoke the universe into existence, he wants to be in relationship with you. That he loves you. That he wants to take care of you. That he is, he is your guide. He is your shepherd. You are in his hands. And when you put your trust in him, when you put him center in your life, when he is the most glorious thing in front of you, when your heart is turned towards him, primarily, and everything else is, is just noise. He takes care of you. He loves you. He 
guides you and protects you. He's the good God. He's the creator of all things. And he's the protector of our hearts and our souls. So we've talked about coming to God with our, our hearts, with our full hearts, with our emotions. We've talked about when we draw close to him, he draws close to us. That we make him the center of our lives and that he protects us and he loves us. But then at the end of the psalm, it kind of has, has a warning. And I'll go ahead and read it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the first half of the psalm starts out feeling uh, good. It's, it's really positive. And then it kind of takes a, a turn for the second half, and it's this dire warning. And um, I don't know if you notice how the language kind of changes, but it goes from the psalmist describing God to talking in the first person. So where it says, when your fathers put me to the test. So the Holy Spirit here is breaking in and, and speaking to us um, directly. And so what had happened in the situation is whenever Moses led everyone um, out of Egypt and they were going to the promised land, uh, I'm not going to go through everything, but um, turns out the Israelites were not really that trusting and that grateful all, all along. They would complain, they would grumble. Um, and actually, at the very beginning of the psalm, whenever it talks about uh, the God being the rock of our salvation, he's talking about whenever um, Moses struck the stone and uh, provided water whenever they were thirsty. And um, if you read that passage, which I'm, I'm not going to, but uh, it basically puts them to, he, they basically put God to the task, and they're like, we would have been better off staying in, in Egypt. Like, over and over they say this. And so, the point is, is that for that first generation that came out of Egypt, um, they didn't see the promised land because they were hard of heart. They didn't know God's truth. They didn't listen to his statutes. They didn't, um, they didn't follow the law. They were hard in their hearts. They were, they were grumbling. They were they were not thankful. And so they were lost. And they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So the, the point coming here is that you have to know the truth about God. You have to know, you can't just come with your emotions and um, you can't just think of him as good, but you actually have to know his truth. Um, and it's funny, I don't have a Bible, I'll, I'll hold up my iPad here. Uh, but it's, it's his revealed word about himself. It's the Bible. Because if you just go by feeling, by sense, um, if you just go by kind of how you're feeling that day, you, you're not going to be grounded. You're not really going to know 
who God is because you don't have a stable foundation. Your, your God is just sort of how you feel that day. And that's kind of true for a lot of people in this age where we, we sort of construct our own God that makes us feel good. Our own God that doesn't really challenge us, that doesn't speak into our lives and, um, and push us to consider hard things and things that aren't comfortable for us. And so when we know the word, whenever we know who he is, um, we're able to see this full picture of him. We're able to uh, understand him as, as he is. And that's the only way that we can have a, a, re- a right relationship with him. You must obey his truth. That's part of worship. If you, everyone has sin in their lives. Everyone has challenges, but if you purposefully, continually um, not obey God, then the worship that you bring to him is not going to be of much merit because he's looking not only for the outer part of you, but also the inner. You praise with your lips. You praise with your, with your heart, but if you don't have a changed heart and a heart that knows who God is and, and knows his word and knows what he has for your life, then you're never really going to be able to bring um, right worship to him. So I wanted to make sure, though, to not just talk about the Psalms because everything always goes back to Jesus. Everything goes back to the gospel. So I wanted to flip over uh, into the New Testament and kind of talk about what worship looks like there and um, kind of what is different from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest also has also rested from his works as God did from his. So in Hebrews, um, before we get here, uh, the author has quoted this very psalm and is basically give, give, give a warning, um, given a warning to obey and to listen, to, to not fall away. And so in verse 8, whenever he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so that day is now. And the rest is the gospel rest. And what that means is that we, um, our sins are no longer um, atoned for by sacrifice. They're atoned for by Jesus himself living a perfect life and dying on the cross for us. And we are covered by that sin when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And so now that rest, instead of being the promised land, is, is Jesus himself. And that's what saves us. It's Jesus on the cross. One kind of um, warning about that, though, is you don't want worship to become another work. So 
It's not a checkbox that you fulfill. It's not something that you have to accomplish, but it's something that happens whenever you see God for who he is. You will come into his presence and you will worship him because you know how great he is. You know that he's the shepherd, that he keeps you safe, that he loves you, and that he wants to be in relationship with you. And then, lastly, going to go to John 4, 21 through 26. And so in, in this moment, Jesus is actually having um, the conversation with the woman at the well. And it's a Samaritan woman who has just been um, in sin and struggling and uh, is not a Jew, so she's not familiar. Um, she's not a part of God's chosen people at that point. And Jesus is breaking things down for her. And I can get there. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so what Jesus is doing is he's tying together um, both the truth of God, knowing God, knowing who he is and who he truly is in your life. And he's also tying um, in spirit. So he's saying you have to worship him with your whole self. And when he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father, he's actually referring to himself. Because in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, when they worshiped, they worshiped in temples specifically or at different uh, feasts or celebrations. But when Jesus gets nailed to the cross, lives a perfect life, and dies the death that we deserved and pays the penalty for God's wrath on sin, he tore the veil which means he opened up um, entrance through him to the Holy of Holies. That he is now um, our great priest, our high priest. And he's the one that makes it possible for us to go and come into Lord, the Lord's presence. And so it's, we're used, to, we're used to reading this, we're used to hearing it. But if you think about it, the Samaritans, I mean, they, they were not God's chosen people. Everything was, Everyone was separated, and so Jesus is creating this community of people from all nations, from all tribes, from all tongues. And he's the way that we come into God's presence. It's no longer worship that is constrained to a place. But God's presence now lives 
and everyone who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So um, I wanted to go over just a few more points here. Um, one of the things that you see over and over again is the psalmist back in Psalm 95 and everywhere. <laughs> also in the New Testament, whenever, um, whether it's Paul talking or some of the other authors that we're, we don't know or if it's some of the apostles, there's always this let us or we. There's always community. And that's what we're doing here today. There's always a community of believers that are called to worship together, to worship God together. Now, that implies that you need to be able to worship God by yourself. You can't just come in here and expect that this is going to be it. One of the prerequisites to come and worship together as a community is to have worship in your own life. And then there's also, um, we spoke about how worship is life-changing. When you put God at the center, when you put him at the front of your life, when you focus your eyes and your heart on him, your life is transformed. You fulfill your purpose. You're truly free then. Until then, you're kind of a slave to any other thing that you put your hope and trust in, and everything else will fail you. There's nothing else that will fulfill your life and fulfill your purpose and fulfill your design than having God at the center of it through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you. And then finally, again, you have to have the truth. You have to know who God is and not just in emotion, not just in the moment with how you're feeling, but you need to, you need to read and understand the word. And that's another reason you're here today. So I would encourage you, be in the word, read it, don't just come here on Sunday morning and expect Gene or whomever is up here to satisfy your knowledge of, of who God is. You have to learn it both. You have to be taught it, but you also have to learn it on your own. You have to be in the Bible. And there's tons of uh, good studies out there that you can do, but e even at the very least, if you're not reading your Bible, just start somewhere anywhere even um, you can start with the gospels you can start with uh, any any of the new testaments usually the most accessible but start and don't delay and then lastly again um, I can't I can't say enough about being life-changing and I want to encourage you that if you come here for worship, you know, or you've tried to worship at home, and you don't really feel anything. Just know that you're not perfect, and you won't be. And almost like everything, this is kind of a skill. It's something you have to practice. It's something you have to be open to. It's something that you have to keep working through. So my encouragement is to just keep showing up, and to pray, and to expect God to show up. And he will. You may not always feel it. You may not always um, feel his presence. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will become aware of it from time to time and probably 
as you continue down your path as a Christian, you will feel it more and more. And you will come into his presence more. Your new life, your family, who you are will change. It'll be transformed little by little. Um, I wanted to end uh, just kind of talking about my own experience because I had mentioned earlier that I wouldn't have imagined ever being in a situation like this or being a Christian. When um, Melanie and I started attending uh, the church that we were at in Carbondale, Illinois, um, 20, it's been so long, 20, maybe 23 years ago, 22 years, 21 years ago, 20 something, over two decades. Um, you know, I wasn't a Christian, and I, Melanie, uh, she really wanted to try to reconnect with her faith. She wanted to, she was, she was a believer, but she really, she wasn't really connected to it, and I was certainly of no help there because I really just didn't care. But because I was supposedly a, a supportive husband, um, I was going to come to church with her. Um, my life looked very different, and I might have sort of drug myself in, uh, not feeling well, um, for a number of reasons, but we won't go into what those are. And I wasn't, in the beginning, I wasn't really listening to the pastor. Um, sometimes I would, but what caught my attention was actually the worship, and for a couple reasons. And, and one of them is, is a very straightforward one, which is um, it was a style that I could relate to a little bit better. Uh, the churches I'd been to before, it was your, uh, like, organ, piano, you know, duel um, with uh, uh, that sort of thing and some, you know, maybe a choir and stuff like that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful and wonderful. But just in that place where I was in in my life, it was not something I related to. But the, the thing that I couldn't deny and the thing that started to kind of bust through um, my objections and the things, my reservations, and the things that I was hard in my heart uh, with was there was something about the worship where when all of these people were together and I could just feel how, how much love they had for God by their singing, by their body language, many people raising their hands, um, not that that's something you have to do, but it was an outward or a natural expression of what they were feeling inside. And it was just something I could not deny. Like all of my sort of rational, uh, or what I thought were rational objections were kind of put aside. And if you think about... Um, what we were talking about with Job earlier, when he saw God as he truly was, when, he, when God revealed all of his greatness and his glory and his power to him, he, he was like, I have no retort. I have nothing that I can say. I have no, I can't cast any judgment against you because you were that great. And so the, that, was the, that was the sense that I, that I kept getting whenever I was, in the worship service and whenever the, the music was going. And, and yes, the music was good, but 
That's not the point. Um, the point is, because I started to get a glimpse of God's presence, because he was drawing my heart, because he was working on me, and he was softening me, and he was doing it through uh, the worship, I just started to become more and more open to hearing the words that the pastor was speaking and, and hearing the truth of the Bible and starting to read it and look at it. And um, it just was, it was transforming. It was, it was something that changed, obviously, my whole life. So in conclusion, I would just say, if you're not there this morning, if you're not feeling that, maybe you're not a Christian, try to just be at peace and just expect that, that God would reveal himself to you, that he would open your heart, that he would open your, your ears to hear the truth about him, whether it be in scripture that's spoken via sermon, uh, or whether that's the, the words from the worship songs, which are supposed to not pull us into the presence of God, but the, the worship team will bring you into God's presence. If people don't do it, wor uh, God does it. If the worship team can come on up. I'll pray and then they'll uh, lead us in one last song. Lord, thank you so much again for bringing us together, for giving us a chance to look at, look at your word, to understand what you have uh, for our lives. And I would pray that um, regardless of whatever I said and how I said it, that you would still work through that, that you would work on people's hearts this morning. Pray that this last uh, worship song would just glorify you, that it would just tell truth about you that would remind us of your goodness and your graciousness to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.